Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, a podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. You're listening to episode 43. My name is Chris, and I'm joined by my wonderful, fabulous, beautiful co-hosts, Mike and Brooke. Hello there. Hello, How's it Mike. going? Hello, Brooke. Hello, you look, hair flip. You look lovely today. Thank you. Yes, I do. Oh, you meant Brooke. <laughs> no, I'm, he said I meant hello, you, Brooke. Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> He's desperate for your attention, Chris. You mm-hmm. got to give it to him. Compliments. Give me, give me compliments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, thank you. Uh, I don't do very well taking compliments. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, friends, let's uh, let's chat. What's up? What's new? What's happened? What's happening? What's crackalacking? Uh, well, just before we started recording, um, our poor little four and a half year old had a bit of a nosebleed and, uh, it was messy. It was just blood everywhere. (laughs) She's fine. It's just because it's the winter here. It's really, really dry. There's a high chance that she probably had her nose shoved, her her finger finger shoved up her nose and, uh, you know. Kids be kids, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, blood mm-hmm. everywhere. She's though, fine. Right? Yeah, she's fine. Yeah, yeah. she's fine. <laughs> so, pretty sure it was a spiritual attack, but uh, yeah, she's fine. She's been blessed. Dad took care of that. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah. we were, we were just about to start recording, like we were just on the cusp of like, all right, let's do this, and then suddenly Mike's like. Uh, we got to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, first it was like, oh, this is not good. Oh, this is worse than I thought. Uh, Mike, you got to come right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's crazy. Anything else besides that? You guys are just getting over a cold. Yeah, we were sick for a week. Our whole family was. So, yeah, rough times in our house. Hard times. We're back. Corona- we're ready to rumble. Yeah, it was not coronavirus. That's good. Just normal virus. Yeah. <laughs> Regular, plain old cold virus. How about yeah. you, man? What's going on? Not much. Not much, man. Like, I uh, I just started the consecration to St. Joseph yesterday. And uh, I don't know. Like, are you guys familiar with it? Like, it's been going around Catholic Internet, like Twitter. and social I've seen media. it pop up a few places for sure. Mm-hmm. Dude, like I I love St. Joseph and that devotion has mm-hmm. uh has grown over over the course of I would say my Carmelite vocation. Um St. Teresa of Avila loved St. Joseph, like everything was for St. Joseph and uh and I'll be honest with you, I had I think I had a lot of hang-ups about St. Joseph. And like I went, I went to St. Joe's High School, and you know everybody would you know say St. Joseph pray for us, but none nobody had an actual devotion to him, and I just hmm. there was never anything that was concrete that I could kind of sink my teeth into, and uh, yeah. But as I like began my Carmelite vocation, um, secular Carmelite vocation, that desire to know. St. Joseph began to grow and, um, but 
when Father uh, Calloway came out with this consecration to St. Joseph, I've, I was like humming and hawing. I was like, uh, you know, like, do I want to, do I want to add like another devotion and another thing to my regimen of prayers and stuff every day when I'm already like struggling to get done my Carmelite duties and stuff as a new dad. And, um, Mike, you would probably appreciate this because I watched mm-hmm. the, uh, there was like a promotional video that came out and, uh, right off the hop. It was a quote from St. Peter Julian Amard about St. Joseph. Your boy. My boy. My boy. So I was like, <laughs> okay, like that that might be a bit of a sign. And then uh, so I I bought the book, and but I was like, okay, I'll do this, but maybe I won't put it on Julie and say, you know, you should do it too. Maybe I should just do it for myself. And uh, then I open up the book and it talks about the different consecration prayers that you do at the end of the 33-day preparation. And the end prayers include one by St. Peter Julian Amard and then one by St. Alphonsus Liguori, which is Julie's boy. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like, okay, I'm taking this as a sign. Like, okay. So I was like, okay, Julie, awesome. you're going to need to do this. <laughs> yeah. That's it, great. It's kind of funny because uh, like a couple, a few summers ago, we went to Marytown, and uh, which is north of uh, Chicago. It's the, um, the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby. And uh, they've got first-class relics that line the walls. Mike and I got to go there last year. And, um, but yeah, it's a great place. And, uh, the, on the one side, there is like a reliquary filled with like six or seven relics and St. Peter, Julian Amard and St. Alphonsus Liguori are neighbors in this reliquary too. So like when Julie and I saw that a few years ago, we're like, that's pretty sweet. (laughs) Yeah. I remember you showed me that pairing when we went there yeah right it's yeah. cool it's cool i i um yeah. about the uh um, consecration i actually first saw it a while back um because i was looking up that uh art piece of saint joseph do you remember that brooke saint joseph Terror of the Amos. yeah i was actually considering buying this print and i still might but it's just like a really nicely done St. Joseph looking like manly, strong. He's got a walking staff and he's just kind of casually leaning on it. And the bottom of it is going through the dragon's head underneath his feet. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's great. Yeah. Father hey. Father Calloway did a number of, he had a number of pieces commissioned. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And actually it's kind of cool. He had, yeah, that one done. He had one of the, um, the Assumption of St. Joseph, which, I mean, it's not a well-known devotion, but it is like it is in in piety and has been a small tea tradition. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that he did with like the patrons of St. Joseph, which I think I'm actually going to pick up. And it has like all the saints that really pushed for devotion to him. And so it's got St. Peter mm-hmm. Julian Amard and St. Teresa of Avila. And I'm like, you can't get more like, <laughs> applicable That's to great. me than that, right? Yeah. So I love it. 
I also picked up a uh, St. Joseph devotional book that I'm planning to do go through for Lent. This Brooke got me this book many eons ago, and I started it and then forgot about it. It's called Joseph's Way. Who's a by Devin Shad. Devin Shad. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's a book of uh, like daily reflections on fatherhood using the biblical patriarchs as models. So Joseph, but also I'm going back to Abraham and Moses and uh, drawing the lessons out of scripture for how to be a good father and husband. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because yeah, like, this book's great so far. Isn't um, that the plan is to finish it for Lent. So, yeah, I was just going to say, like, wasn't like the fact that he goes through the patriarchs that that relates to the litany of St. Joseph, right? Because in the litany of St. Joseph, you say light of the patriarchs or light of patriarchs. Pray for us. It's always been something that I uh, I've never really understood that title. I'm looking forward to learning about it um, with this consecration of the patriarchs. I've heard that, but I hadn't thought about it in relation to this book. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. So, um, so, uh, moving on. So we've had a few weeks of some fantastic engagement and some great people have been reaching out to us. Um, I don't want to name, I can't name everyone by name, but I want to give a particular shout out to our friend, Tim. Tim reached out to us uh, through Instagram and he and I have been chatting over at, uh, via email. Uh, you can reach us at theology of the buddy at gmail.com. And, uh, he and I have been chatting and it's been great. And, uh, yeah. So huge shout out to that guy. He's been an incredible encouragement. Another quick shout out, uh, today featured on the new liturgical movement, uh, website, our boy, our hometown boy, Tate Pumphrey, has been yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> has been featured. Represent. Yeah. So, uh, Doctor Peter Kwasniewski uh, did an interview with Tate. Uh, Tate is a composer uh, and a fantastic dude. He writes a lot of n- new hymns, but are like obviously super traditional and really good. Yeah, he's written a lot of great stuff, and uh, we featured him during our masses sometimes, and you know for like the opening or closing hymns, and yeah, they're just really well done. So we'll we'll be sure to include the link to that interview in our show notes. I've already talked to him like months ago, and I said, hey, we want to have you on the podcast. So. Uh, you should look forward to that uh, sometime this season. Yeah. The last thing I want to say um, is I have been reaching out to a number of people who follow us via Instagram, um, but I've been asking for people to share if they have any prayer requests or whatnot. Um, so please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to know if you have any prayer requests. Um, so just DM us on Instagram at Theology of the Buddy, Facebook, Theology of the Buddy, email theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. In particular, though, I do want to give a, a particular request right now to uh, anyone who's listening. Uh, there is someone on 
uh, Instagram. Uh, her handle is the future is family. Um, she's kind of a newish trad and her husband has contracted brain cancer. Um, and it has been a absolute uphill battle for them, uh, in the last, last year, really. Um, it's been pretty intense and uh like he just came down his name is michael um the husband he michael just came down with shingles and now it's going into his eye so he is in like very uh, like a ton of pain and uh like they've got a number of children and it's it's just a lot so if you would offer up uh the moss family i think that's how you pronounce it especially for Michael and for his healing, that would be absolutely appreciated. Um, and if you guys are listening, Moss family, we love you. Uh, we believe in you. You guys are doing amazing things as a family and you're such a example of holiness and um, just such a good holy marriage. So uh, yeah, be assured of our prayers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Last thing I want to say, uh, a listener. <laughs> I don't believe out. you. <laughs> yeah, you know me all too well. So, <laughs> uh, before we get into today's topic, um, which we're getting into the Querita Amazonia, the document issued by Pope Francis uh, as a <sighs> reflection on the uh, the Synod of the Amazon. Uh, before we get into our discussion on that document, uh, we had one of our listeners, I won't name them uh, for, for obvious reasons, uh, but I just, I just love this and it made me laugh and bust a gut and healed my, my wounded heart a little bit. Um, so if you have listened to the uh, Novus Ordo versus TLM podcast, um, you know that I shared in that that I had at one time in my life, uh, many years ago, wrapped a responsorial psalm in mass, and I still feel guilty to this day for doing that. Um, but he wrote in, uh, this, this person wrote in, you mentioned that you still have regrets to this day over things that you did before you knew better, and I can absolutely relate I was about six months post-baptism and gave the announcements at Life Teen Mass as Miss Cleo, the old TV psychic. Yep, that included cross-dressing. No. No. (laughs) That is only one of several things that I still look back and just shudder over. (laughs) Oh, no. No. (laughs) I hope there were no pictures. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, there'll be, there'll be, there'll be pictures at the general judgment. <laughs> oh, it hurts. They're just going to throw down the pictures and they'll be like, what was that? He'll <laughs> be like, guilty, guilty. It was all me. It was all me. Oh, uh, Miss Cleo, thank you for your email. <laughs> <laughs> That hurts. That hurts. <laughs> so I think that's a f- perfect intro to what we're discussing. Speaking of today. things that hurt. 
<laughs> reading Querida Amazonia. Yeah. You know what hurts more, guys? What? Reading it twice. Yeah. Yeah. Like I did. I read it twice because I needed to make sure that I wasn't blinded by, uh, I don't know, interior vomit or something. And I swept that away, try it again. Wow. And now it was the same. It's just the document. It's That's difficult. It. It's a difficult read. It was really difficult. Yeah. I mean, we're going to, we're going to try to take a balanced approach as well as we can. Absolutely. Um, despite Brooke's graphic uh, intro, I could have said something else. <laughs> uh, yeah. Was that you being charitable there? Yep. Okay. Let's cut her mic now. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, we don't oh, want to yeah. cut you, Mike. Come on. Thank That's sweet, guys. Okay. First, Mike suggests we drop him. Now he suggests we cut him. Like, come on. We will not do either. We need you. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of reactions already to this uh, document. And there's definitely huge range of reactions Mm -hmm. from celebration. This document's great to. Yeah, it's just um, using weaponized ambiguity to sneak in all the stuff that it supposedly doesn't do. And a lot of people are really mad about the people on the opposite spectrum of reaction. I've seen a ton of people saying, oh, look at these trads. They're so mean. They'll complain about anything Pope Francis says. He writes an amazing document where he defends the priesthood and... The trads are just like trying to find fault anywhere. So that is all to say that we're going to have some criticisms for the document. We're going to try to back them up and be objective and not just be red, bad trads. No. We're going to hate on the document. We're not exactly going to be ripping Pope Francis apart, right? Maybe. That'd be terrible. (laughs) First cutting Mike, now ripping apart the Pope, like gross. That escalated really quickly. <laughs> wow, you're so violent. First first what? it starts off with your child getting beaten in the face by a demon. Then <laughs> it was probably it was just a nosebleed. It's dry. It's winter air. It's just dry. It's winter air. It's dry. Winter air. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So like for me like overall reading through the document i had a hard time grasping in my mind why it was necessary to write this document and to have a synod around things in the amazon um and and i and i still don't really fully understand like the holy father kind of gets into like he wants to kind of uh, help the the world really appreciate what the amazon has to offer and goes on for pages but at the end of it i am no more in love with the place and and whatnot than i was when i started no, that is a really curious I'm, element for sure. You know, the whole like huge emphasis on um, 
talking about the Amazon region, talking about the environment, talking about the problems that um, people are having that are forced out of their homes and stuff like that. Um, there's some kind of Catholic content there where they're encouraging Catholic or he's encouraging Catholics to uh, have concern for the plight of these people and be upset about the injustices and work to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's curious why we needed to go on this journey with like Amazon poetry and like elaborate descriptions of the forest and the cultures that like we can't emphasize enough. It's incredibly long this part Mm -hmm. just to get to a very, very simple set of concrete recommendations. I, I agree. Like when I was reading it, all I could think of was this isn't something I would normally expect from you know, a synod from, you know, a document at this length or whatnot. It's something I would, uh, you would picture in your head, like, oh, Pope Francis is meeting such and such and such a person. Pope Francis is meeting such and such a person um, to coordinate or aid or whatever, um, some kind of exchange to send missionaries to help people. And that would be the end of it. You know what I mean? Like it might be an, a brief news story, but it wouldn't normally be something that would be this drawn out yeah. um, process. If the aim was just to help poor people, which is obviously a good thing to do. We want to help all poor people. We want to help all those disenfranchised and whatnot. And we obviously don't want our planet to die. We live here. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of, Weird. Yeah. I I'll I'll be honest with you. I as I was reading through it, I constantly was asking the question, like, you know, if we really want to help the people in the Amazon, is writing an apostolic letter really, really what we need to be doing to make yep. that happen? And Like I, I was like, you know, we're worried about, uh, these different corporations, for example, coming in and taking over, you know, the, the lands of the Amazon, you know, these big corporations who are just hungry for money and blah, 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 and forcing these people out of those regions and into the, you know, the outskirts of the cities and which leads to them going into poverty and, you know, potentially human trafficking and things like this. I'm like, you're throwing paper at a problem. That's like legitimate, like a legitimate problem. If the Holy father, if any person of real goodwill cared about those people being pushed to the margins legitimately, then like he should be getting in his plane, uh, using his greenhouse gases or not whatever you want to call it. And flying to the Amazon and like meeting with government leaders and meeting with these corporations and saying, stop, you know, he needs to be more of a face that defends real people instead of being like, 
I wrote a thing over here. Hope you read it. Like now, now to clarify, in this in this document, are there concrete, specific things listed that must happen? Definitely not. There are a couple concrete suggestions. Mm-hmm. They're very basic things like we need to pray for vocations. Yeah, um, agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I thought was a really good point was um, he recommended for all the countries that include parts of the Amazon that the missionaries coming out of their seminaries need to go to the Amazon. Yeah. More of them. Absolutely. And he, I think it was in a footnote that he added some detail there, but um, I thought it was a, like a correctly identified problem mm-hmm. that so many people being trained and sent out as missionaries from these countries are going to Europe and, you know, going to, and not to like accuse them too directly, but to more comfortable places to uh, be a missionary rather than their own backyard that's lacking priests. Well, and some of those locations are like legitimately dangerous locations mm-hmm. um not exactly because of the people that live there though sometimes it, it has happened we have heard of things like that happening um, with particular tribes that you know are isolated but the terrain itself is dangerous you know so i understand why some people would be afraid to actually go there um but yeah that is a concrete thing that should be done like to send missionaries there and aid them you know, in getting there. Yeah. The one, the one thing that did concern me though, with regards to that was it was talking about the formation of said missionaries, you know, and mm-hmm. it was, there was some suggestions there that I just didn't feel comfortable with, with regards to basically training them to, I don't know what the word is like, to understand enculturation, right? Yeah. But like a weird understanding of enculturation where it's like more on the syncretist level of things, right? It it that's kind of where I had a lot of my concerns through the document was that there was there was in that document 19 references to enculturation, um, but you could almost replace it with syncretize and it would have the same meaning almost uh in the document i mean um what i found with all these references to enculturation was you can it's kind of like a lot of um the documents of vatican ii where they're arguably meant to be orthodox you can read them uh, in an orthodox way, but they're also ripe for abuse. And we can, we've seen that abuse happen. And I don't think it's paranoid to think that this document also is going to be abused. In fact, we've also, we've already seen interpretations of Gorita Amazonia that are, quite frankly, abusing these vague parts of it 
Do you have any example right, of that? Like, yeah, for sure. We actually just watched, and maybe this is what um, brought demons into our house to cause a nosebleed. But we watched <laughs> Father James Martin's response to Corita Amazonia. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, his final point in that video was talking about how, yeah, Pope Francis stopped short and that's always the word he stopped short of allowing the uh viri pravadi the uh married priests and women deacons and i love how they use that phrase stop short as if he's on the path to going there he just stopped short of it maybe next document we'll get there it's the clear implication right um so and that uh, and that's kind of what's being kind of toted by what's his name Cheney or Cheney the um the one guy in the Vatican that was saying that is it Cardinal Cheney I don't remember do you know who I'm talking about no Dick Cheney no I don't I don't know what his name <laughs> is it's like C Z E N Y um but yeah, he was saying like all of this stuff is still on the table. Like this, mm-hmm. this oh, document yeah, sure. hasn't closed anything. All of these, these things like the very Prabhati and, and uh, women priesthood and blah, blah, blah. It's still on the table. Uh, the conversation. Yeah, and that's, closed. and that's kind of where I was going with the statement from father James Martin. Cause I didn't finish his sentence there. Oh, I'm sorry. He, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, yeah, he said that Pope Francis stopped short of doing these things, but he includes the final document from the synod proposes everyone to read it and doesn't condemn it in any way. Asks the bishops of the Amazon to implement it. And hopes that it will enrich everyone. That document is the document that proposes women deacons and viri probati. He did not condemn it. He just didn't explicitly back it up. He very vaguely promoted it, though, at the very start of Querida Amazonia. Yeah. And that he presents the uh, document Querida Amazonia as a framework that can guide us to receive the entire synodal process. Also, after presenting this, that was another weird line that I felt was kind of uh, easy to interpret as endorsing everything in the final document. Yeah, that's section two. Right. He says, mm-hmm. uh, he says he, I've expressed in early documents, uh, and that can help guide us to a harmonious, creative and fruitful reception of the entire synodal process. And then, yeah. and then you said with regards to the uh, other part, that's in like section three. Um, I prefer not to cite the final document in this exhortation because I would encourage everyone to read it in full. Yeah. And the fourth, even worse. Yeah. 
May the pastors, consecrated men and women, and lay faithful of the Amazon region strive to apply it. He doesn't say don't apply the parts about Viri Prabhati and women deacons. Yep. How 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 do you not see that as a problem? This is not yeah. You know, like when when they were saying, you know, oh this this document is a win for conservative Catholics. It's not. Nah. This is yeah. like and and it's right out the gate slapping all of the faithful Catholics right in the face and saying, guess what? <laughs> and they're yeah, like, you well, know, this final <laughs> document that's terrible. You all need to read it and be inspired by it. Yeah. I was actually kind of annoyed when, it, when he said, I preferred not to cite the final document in this exhortation. I don't know. It was just kind of lazy that, that and that's speaking, you know, solely as, you know, someone that wrote a lot of essays, um, as someone that's read a lot of stuff, you know, most authors, when they write something and they want to cite their own work, they're not just going to say, oh, by the way, just read this book. If they have something that's going to aid them in what they're trying to say, they will cite. Mm -hmm. Right, that it seems weird. And that's why it comes across as kind of suspicious, as if it's like a sneaky way of allowing this document to be promoted without really promoting it. Yeah. Suspicious right. is exactly the, the right word. Yeah. yeah. And I know there's a lot of people that are going to be like, trads are always suspicious of Pope Francis. It doesn't matter what he does. But I don't know. I mean, how do you, how do you read that sentence about applying the final document with no caveats? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. How he else do you read that? And and you can't ignore what he says later on in the document in um, section 103, right? Where he talks about things like, uh, in a synodal church, just for the record, we're becoming a you synodal church. You mean the church. Anglican church? Right. In a <laughs> synodal church, those women who, in fact, have a central part to play in Amazonian communities should have access to positions Include including ecclesial services that do not entail holy orders and that can better signify the role that is theirs. Um, can we talk about that? I have a lot to say about that. Sure. Are we going to get back to that? Well, we can. Why not? Want to jump to that and then jump back afterwards? Yeah. Because it's kind of separate from a lot of the document. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Okay. For the record, this Number is a one. woman. This is a woman speaking. Just so uh, you know, people don't think yeah. we're mansplaining right now. Yeah, this is this is a woman speaking. When I read this, <laughs> she I, identifies as a woman as well. Yeah, I also look like one, born as one. You know, XX chromosome. I got all of it. Um, she look like a man. Just kidding. She doesn't. <laughs> I, hey, I, I got to wax the mustache. You know. I'm crawling it out. I'm just feeling kind of left out here. Y'all have beards and I don't. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So. <laughs> Sorry. I'm dying over here. That's the two little chin hairs that keep coming back. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just love making my husband laugh. It warms my heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. So when I read that, you know, he wanted to give women opportunities and, you know, fill roles that were very specific to women, he doesn't list those. And I'm assuming that he's talking about things that they're already doing. We've heard that, you know, they're, some of them are not necessarily hearing confessions, but almost like listening to people talk about things, um, talking about lay people administering baptism and whatnot. Um, he doesn't call for those things to change. Now, we know that the only reason a lay person would need to administer baptism is if somebody is about to die, right? Right. Like if there's no chance of getting a priest there in time. If the, Yeah, if there's no chance that a priest would get there in time. Um, so if he's just saying that women should be fulfilling these roles because there's a shortest of priests, that, that sets alarms going, like, for me. You know, it's, 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 it's allowing them to do that. Like, if he's saying that priests are only able to visit, say, once a year, does that still allow lay people to just do baptisms all the time? Does it uh, say that they're doing them all the time, like, as a regular practice? Or is that just kind of implied? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It says in uh, in section 101, he says... Uh, in this way, we will fundamentally realize why, without women, the church breaks down and how many communities in the Amazon would have collapsed had women not been there to sustain them, keep them together, and care for them. This shows the kind of power that is typically theirs. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you can read that in a in an orthodox way, but if you know what practically has been happening in this in the Amazon regions, we know we have reports of, of like sisters administering the sacraments, mm-hmm. doing communion services, uh, things of this nature and absolutely administering baptism, uh, and, and observing weddings too. And, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So like, right. like in a state of an emergency, you know, and someone's about to die. Yes. A woman could baptize someone. You've explained that. I forget where I heard it, but they did talk about, you know, it was probably sisters that were baptizing people. And I'm wondering, maybe that's what he's implying is, is these religious sisters. It's kind of hard to tell, isn't it? Yeah. Um, You kind of have to apply a context from outside the document to understand that. And, And that's the thing. He doesn't specifically say what he wants the women to do. No. Right. Yeah. He he makes reference in section eighty-eight that that the Eucharist and sacramental confession lie at the heart of the priest's exclusive identity. But he doesn't mm-hmm. really but then but then it says if you go to the footnote, which is one twenty nine, it says it is also proper to the priest to administer the anointing of the sick because it is intimately linked to the forgiveness of sins. That's three of the seven sacraments. 
here's here's the part that I was talking about in um, in paragraph 92. So the Eucharist then as source and summit requires the development of that rich variety. Priests are necessary, but this does not mean that permanent deacons, of whom there should be many more in the Amazon region, religious women and lay persons cannot regularly assume important responsibilities for the growth of communities and perform those functions every more effectively with the aid of a suitable accompaniment. Yep. What does that mean? That's so vague. He also says in 89, in the specific circumstances of the Amazon region, particularly in its forests and most and more remote places, a way must be found to ensure this priestly ministry. The laity can proclaim God's word, teach, organize communities, celebrate certain sacraments, doesn't declare what ones those are, seek different ways to express popular devotion, and develop the multitude of gifts that the Spirit pours out in their midst. Mm-hmm. And in the part that I had been referencing before was in 99, where it said that um, this could happen because of the presence of strong and generous women who undoubtedly called by the and prompted by the Holy Spirit, baptized, catechized, prayed, and acted as missionaries. Yeah. So yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Again, what do you what do you think? Like, how do you read celebrate certain certain sacraments? Yeah, which ones? Yeah. Lay, lay people cannot do any of them except for baptism in states of emergency. Well, I mean, technically we give marriage to each other, right? Yeah, but we, we can't we, like But it's, it has to be kind of a stretch to interpret it to mean that though, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like I don't think <laughs> I don't think Pope Francis is making a statement about that. No, I don't I don't think so either <coughs> it's just the vagueness of of what where where is the line drawn and is is baptizing people you know is lay women baptizing lay people going to become a norm or continue to be a norm or continue the blessing to be a norm. of this document at least implied yeah no. so a lot of this is um like we've said many times, you could probably spin it to be orthodox, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's ripe for abuse, and it's like it couldn't be more abusable if it was designed to be abused, right? No, exactly. Like it's got everything that you need to have an excuse for women to do just about any sacrament. Maybe aside from the ones that are called out specifically. Mm-hmm. That Pope Francis says exclusive to the priest. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing that I thought was kind of funny, and um, this isn't necessarily like I don't even understand it enough to say it's wrong, but it's kind of weird. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it. He makes a point of calling out that women have to have roles in the community that are assigned by the bishop. Did you catch that part? I'm not I sure didn't. what number it is. Uh, it's around those four or five paragraphs are about women near the end of the document. But I found it curious, like why women are doing all these things, which are yeah. not well described, but why is it important that the bishop assign them 
an official position to do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was in section 103. So say here it says here it should be noted that these services entail stability, public recognition, and a commission from the bishop. Yeah. Why is that given so much importance, I wonder? Yeah. I mean, it seems example. almost like a an attempt to give these women things that the priesthood has, you know, like, obviously I can't prove that's why it is, but I don't see any reason for it. Yeah. Feels I mean, weird. It, yeah. It, it seems like because there's, there's saying these services entail stability. So it's not just like, it can't just be like a volunteer position right like say you know your so-called extraordinary minister of holy communion at the parish right who comes forward and says yeah i want to be involved we all recognize that that's a a volunteer position they can opt out whenever they want but if it entails stability that means they're going to be here for a while um and they're going to be recognized by the people of that community And the bishop's going to have to say, I officially agree that they have that position. So it takes on something of the character of a sacrament. Like somebody administering the the ambiguity. The ambiguity is, is the scary thing. Yeah. Why aren't those, why is, why aren't things specified? Right. Why isn't he saying this is what they're doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, and what things, do they, do they, does he want to encourage women to do? Why I mean, isn't that there? I mean, technically a person like going back to that extraordinary minister example, technically every extraordinary minister of Holy communion is commissioned by the Bishop. But, you, but what that looks like in practice is that the priest says, or, or who, or pastoral minister of the parish says, okay, I've got this list of volunteers. I'm submitting it to the chancery. There's no vetting them. There's no, right? Yeah. The bishop just signs off with a stroke of a pen and that's it. Yeah. It's just bureaucratic, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I think it would make all of us more comfortable if it said, you know, the women are helping the poor. The women are making sure that the hungry are being fed. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, single mothers are being helped with their children. Yep. I think it, it would give me a... Um, a greater sense of peace knowing what those jobs were specifically mm-hmm. because it's the ambiguity that could be abused. Right. It's not that maybe those, maybe those things aren't all happening. Maybe women aren't officiating air quotes, weddings or something like that. Maybe that's not happening. I just wish we knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the problem with having a synod in Rome about a region that's, you know, the across the globe from them, you know, mm-hmm. like they don't have boots on the ground there and they've got the, the people that were the talking heads at the Amazon Synod. They weren't people that really had authority to speak. You know, I can't remember what the, the guy's name was, but I mean, there was protests that there were like, why does this guy get to speak? for us in, you know, 
in our tribes and whatnot. He he has no connection to us whatsoever. He has no idea who we even are. I, I don't remember who who that was, but so do you guys want to move on to some other sections of the document? Yeah. Sure. Um, sure. Before we do, um, just want to throw out uh if anybody is looking for a way to support us, uh, we got a message on our Instagram this past week uh, saying, hey, start a Patreon. I'll support you. Um, for the record, we are totally considering a Patreon. But if you hadn't checked out, uh, we have a link on our website at theologyofthebuddy.com. You can see it on our show notes in every episode. There is a link to Tumblr House. Tumblr House is a fantastic proprietor of Catholic books, um, and they've got fantastic discounts uh, going on right now. Um, with our liturgical breakdown, our uh, the Latin Mass Explained book is on that website, and you can buy it there right now, uh, and it's super cheap, um, and it's a fantastic book. And if you buy through the link that's on our site, you help us out a little bit. So make sure you check out our link uh, to Tumblr House in our show notes. Uh, for a fantastic Catholic goods, in particular books, so that you can fill your mind with good and holy things and not necessarily... <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I just thought I'd, I thought I'd just break that with a brief commercial break so you can look up your information. Now back to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So I have, I'm looking at my notes from the doc and there's really not much until you get into a little bit later. Like, um, a lot of this is talking about the suffering of the Amazon, Amazonian people and stuff like that. There wasn't really much controversial for me in like up to at least 17 or so 18 I thought was actually one of the better parts of the document talking about um, the church's history with missionaries in the Amazon region. It gives kind of a balanced perspective mm -hmm. about how there have been abuses and um, apologizing for the church's role in abuses where they've occurred there, but also calling out the missionaries who have, done good work who have you know made converts and who have pushed back against the people abusing the natives in the amazon and stuff like that and then in 19 he starts out kind of talking about how the church needs to be committed to that same mission which is great um it gets a little bit weird near the end <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um this quote he puts up that um, you, it says, you are the living memory of the mission that God has entrusted to us all, the protection of our common home. Okay, protecting our common home is cool, but that wasn't the mission that our Lord gave us. <laughs> the Great Commission is a thing. It's to make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the mission. Nothing else is the mission that God gave us. No. That's the preeminent mission. So that was a little weird. 
just some weird wording there just making that sound like it's the most important thing when it's not mm-hmm. common home is a con a i learned recently a uh a term that's associated with the whole um integral eco- ecology movement the whole movement for um it's basically like ecology but thinking globally i guess like the the integral part is like thinking of a part as um part of the whole essentially so you care about the amazon because it's part of the whole earth and it's the lungs of the earth and stuff like that um and this has been apparently a a movement through lots of different areas outside the church as well mm-hmm. even though we've heard it mostly from pope francis yeah mm-hmm. one thing i noticed that becomes a recurring theme and we see this start i want to say start um as a paragraph 20 is this sense of um not necessarily changing the amazon people it's almost like he doesn't want to say that we don't want to convert them we don't want to encourage them to change we don't want them to change their rituals we don't want them to change how they live do you know what i mean yeah yeah Yes, I know what you mean. Um, Yeah, because it says, hence, without diminishing the importance of personal freedom, it is clear that the original peoples of the Amazon region have a strong sense of community. It permeates their work, their rest relationships, their rights, their celebration. Everything is shared. Private areas, typical of modernity, are minimal. Life is a communal journey where tasks and responsibilities are at proportion and shared on the basis of the common good. There is no room for the notion of an individual attached from the community of the land. And then he goes on to talk about how their relationships are steeped in nature and blah, 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 blah. Right. Like, this is the beginning of talking about the people in their, in their habitat, you know, in their land, and that... You know, we don't need to change their, specifically, he says, their rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it, a problem. And he it doesn't goes, say specifically it goes, in that quote, but, um, yeah, I see what you mean. Like, he starts talking a lot about the people there, right? Mm-hmm. And the the thing is, like, as you're reading through the the document, too, you find out later on, in the in the seventies, essentially of the document, that there's this this understanding that if we are going to approach the Amazon, we have to approach it essentially with a sense of almost like a reverence that's reverencing the way of life that they yes. have, the the rituals that they have, and I think he uses that word in particular, though I'm having trouble finding it. He makes reference to, you know, all of these things that we need to kind of walk in in a deep, profound respect for. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't know when we're going to bring this up, if we are, but talking about the almost the he thinks preemptive, almost preemptively of our accusations that might fly in and say, well, you know, 
like a lot of these rituals and rites are pagan in origin. And he's like, well, you can't call them pagan. He doesn't tell you why that's the case. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, so it's like he's expecting of the world. Because again, he writes the document. Initially, it's, you know, to the church and to all people of goodwill. So like he starts out kind of addressing the document to the world and then he kind of hones in and says, okay, all right, team, now you, I want to talk to you about this, you know? And like, you can tell at that point, he's like, okay, we really need to love the Amazon and the people and everything there because there's something happening there that's really good and, and we want to be able to protect and sustain it and all of that. But but what are those things? But what are those things? Exactly. And and why are they necessarily good in themselves? You know, like, why is reverencing a image of, you know, I don't know if Mike was intending on talking about this later, but why is reverencing an image of the Pachamama or Mother Earth why is that so important for us to be able to respect? Why is that good? You know, I don't feel like yeah. that question is ever answered. He yeah, does. That's not something that's called out specifically, but from mm-hmm. the context of the synod, it's pretty obvious. He does talk about, you know, the good things that they do, such as being very um, reliant on nature for their food. For their shelters, you know, being hunter gatherers, some of them, um, you know, how they respect nature and their environment. Which, like, let's not say that they're they're worshiping their. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they literally take care of where they live, which are those are good things. You know, that's fine. Um, on number seventy nine, I wanted to talk about. I'm literally what you're saying about right the yeah. idolatry. <laughs> yeah. And I was kind of arguing with a guy on Twitter earlier today. Ooh, you can follow and, Mike at uh, the Phoenix Tome. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to your Twitter, Mike. Shout out to your Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. Um, so, yeah, I was arguing with a guy on Twitter because he was basically one of the people I was mentioned. And this guy is pretty trad. And he was, but he was just saying, like, everyone who's criticizing this document is just, you know, they obviously have an agenda. They've got some sort of idols in their life that they're putting before the church or whatever. And there, there's no basis for criticizing this. And I, I kind of responded to him and I, cause I found it so rich that he mentioned idols and, mm-hmm. I was just like, well, maybe rather we prefer Jesus Christ and no idols. What do you think of number 79 in this document that's clearly about idol worship at the Synod? And, you know, he told me I need to stop watching conspiracy theories and I'm just reading stuff into it. But um, dude on Twitter, you're crazy. Um, (laughs) I'm right. You're wrong. (laughs) <laughs> and let's talk about why. Yeah. Let's just let's just read it for what it so, says because it's. I think it's seventy nine. My 
My notes on this are one line. It says, as written, it is not false, but in context, it is monstrous. So let's read it. (laughs) It says, it is possible to take up an indigenous symbol in some way without necessarily considering it as idolatry. A myth charged with spiritual meaning can be used to advantage and not always considered a pagan error. Some religious festivals have a sacred meaning and are occasions for gathering and fraternity, albeit in need of a gradual process of purification and maturation. A missionary of souls will try to discover the legitimate needs and concerns that seek an outlet in, at times, imperfect, partial, or mistaken religious expressions, and will attempt to respond to them with an enculturated spirituality. So, a couple things I have to say about this. Do you want to jump in before yep, I say my thing? Because okay, number one, you can take this all literally and in the best light and say, okay, it's just about taking benign parts of their culture and not overreacting and saying it's idolatry and stuff like that, and respecting the legitimate parts of their culture. Sure, you could read it that way if this wasn't an exhortation that followed the Amazon Synod. You know, the synod where idol worship took place in the Vatican. It starts off with this sentence about it's possible to take up a indigenous symbol without considering it idolatry. The implication there is, to me, why would it be considered idolatry unless we're taking up something that is an idol, right? I mean, if you take up like some benign indigenous thing like say some medicinal plant or some tool that they use or the symbol of their village or something like that or their traditional dress no one's saying that's idolatry the only thing people are saying is idolatry is people bowing down on their faces in front of an idol so Mm -hmm. this pope francis saying can do that without considering an idolatry because that's wrong. That is literally idolatry. Am I wrong? No, no. And what do you guys think? Like <laughs> the fact that he goes on to say some religious festivals have a sacred meaning, okay, and are occasions for gathering and fraternity. Sure, um, albeit in need of a gradual process of purification and maturation. So let's say they have a festival to a sun god. It's important for us because he goes on to say that missionaries need to respond to that with an enculturated spirituality, which I would say like, no, like, like you can't have a gradual process of purification. You know, St. Paul didn't walk into the, what is it? The Pantheon and say, like point to the, the altar of the unknown God and said, this is the God you're looking for. It's, it's Christ. He's the unknown God. And then proceed to be like, all right, now let's, let's go. And cause I want to respect what you're doing. Like, let's go and do your little incense to Zeus and give him a little pinch of incense there and a pinch, to, you know, whatever. Like I, not that Zeus is, you know, who they would be worshiping, but, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, Boniface didn't go into Germany and say, this sacred oak of Thor is fine. Let's just gradually teach you about, you know, the meaning of wood and how we also have um, 
things made of wood like look at this cross we have <laughs> and you know like no he's like thor is not real and nothing is going to happen if i chop down this tree yeah let me show you yeah because they're like truth truth be told like i mean what is the gradual process of purification and maturation of of paganism you can't mature pagan culture and like or distill it into christianity like you might be able to piece some things from it but that's not real maturation you know what i mean like i mean you can distill the good things from that people's culture when you remove idol worship from it yeah you know exactly <laughs> then you can find the positive things in you know the germanic culture for example mm-hmm I mean, those are my ancestors, you know. They are. <laughs> they are. I'm here as a Catholic, potentially because St. Boniface destroyed that sacred oak, you know. Praise God that I'm from a Catholic family that goes back you know, all the way to Germany, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it says to, I, I don't know if you were finding this as well when you were reading the document, but sometimes you have to almost read it in reverse. So like, like I found that 79 was definitely like, it could have like followed that 78 could be read after it because it was saying, let us not be quick mm-hmm. to describe as superstition or paganism, certain religious practices that arise spontaneously from the life of peoples, right? Whether we ought to know how to distinguish the wheat growing alongside the tares for quote unquote popular piety can enable us to see how the faith once received becomes embodied in a culture and is constantly passed on, end quote. Like, let's be honest here. Every pagan ritual that exists in the world arose from the the life of the peoples like peoples could be could also be interpreted as gentiles right from the life of the yeah. gentiles and you know all the gods of the gentiles are demons as it says in the scriptures like mm-hmm. it it's bad that's just wrong <laughs> We cannot describe paganism as not paganism. Yeah. Words actually do mean things. Yeah. If you start bowing down to a tree, you can call it respect for the earth, but it's it's a form of paganism. It's a form of earth worship. <laughs> like- yep. And that's followed up very closely by like the section, the enculturation of the liturgy. Oh, yeah. This is yeah. Bad. So oh. bad. This is probably the worst section of the document. Yeah. Starting from like 78 down through yeah. this liturgy section. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was, I quoted this in my notes as my most hated part of this document. Yeah. And it's from 82. Oh. It says, we can take up into the liturgy many elements proper to the experience of indigenous peoples in their contact with nature and respect native forms of expression in song, dance, rituals, gestures, and symbols. 
It doesn't say it right out, but the implication is all these things, native song, dance, rituals, gestures, and symbols belong in the liturgy of the holy sacrifice of the mass. Yep. It goes on saying, gosh, this part has made me so mad. It says, the Second Vatican Council called for this effort to enculturate the liturgy among indigenous peoples. Over 50 years have passed and we still have far to go along these lines. Cool. So as a trad, immediately I'm like, cool, you guys haven't wrecked the liturgy enough. We need to make it worse. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Also, even if you read Sacrosanctum Concilium, where he's referencing in this footnote, it's it mentions like culture-specific modifications of the liturgy, which is already super dangerous. But it's extremely cautious. It's extremely cautious, and it warns you over and over again not to do this recklessly. Well. Here we are doing it extremely recklessly, mm-hmm. talking about creating an Amazonian rite right. to include native uh, pagan rituals. And it should be noted there as well in 82, where he says, over 50 years have passed and we still have far to go along these lines. And then he footnotes, in, and when he footnotes, he says... During the Synod, there was a proposal to develop an Amazonian rite. So when he's saying we still have far to go, he ends it by saying, this is the end goal. This is where we need to be going, is an Amazonian rite. And that's just bizarre. It's just... It's not like he wants to bring the mass to people. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to bring good priests to those people so that they can, you know, be part of the church. He wants to change the mass for those people. Agreed. 110%. And he actually goes on to basically say that too, right? He talks about the importance of uh, contemplative leisure, uh, which I thought was an interesting uh, word to use uh, reading what, it contemplative? From, yeah. Like, you say it all the time. <laughs> but he doesn't really, under he doesn't use it in a Catholic sense, right? And then, you know, but he says how, especially the, nat- the Native peoples, the Aboriginal peoples are familiar, familiar with this gratuity and this healthy contemplative leisure. Our celebration should help them experience this in the Sunday liturgy and encounter the light of God's word and the Eucharist, which illumines our daily existence. So the, the thing, though, again, reading it backwards, right? He's saying we need to make an Amazonian right so that they can have the things that are important to them in their culture incorporated into the liturgy. Whereas essentially we're, we're basically saying like they couldn't handle the mass as it stands. We have to, we have to basically make it something that, that they would understand. It's kind of racist actually. When you, when you put it like that, yep. it's like, Oh, they, they'd be too afraid and too dumb to understand it. Yeah. Just like the, they don't get celibacy comment that we had during the synod yep. from that uh, air quotes, missionary Bishop. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you want to read it backwards even further. It's only three paragraphs away that he's talking about taking up indigenous symbols without considering them idolatry. Like, would they have a statue of, you know, Our Lady of the Amazon beside a statue of, of Pachamama? No, they wouldn't put it beside. They just have the idol and call it Our Lady of the Amazon. Yep. That's what they did at the Synod. Yeah, There's no way they're going to do anything different if they develop an Amazon, right? Yeah. You know. No. Yeah. And that, anyways, and the thing that I also, I don't know if you would appreciate this or not or agree, but I find that for myself from going from, this is kind of a side note, but going from the Novus Ordo to the Latin mass, when I think of contemplative leisure, that the, the traditional mass lends to that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm able to experience that contemplative leisure when I'm at the Novus Ordo, everything is so busy that I don't have time to think and contemplate about anything except what I'm going to say next or whose hand I have to shake, you know, uh, mm-hmm. involving songs, dances, rituals, blah, 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 blah. Also using those r- rituals is also a dead giveaway that, like you're going to get something very bad <laughs> with that. But like involving all of that, that doesn't lend to contemplative leisure. It It's just busyness in the liturgy. I don't know. Yeah. Agreed. Just makes sense. So all of this is pretty terrible. I wanted to jump back to my absolute favorite part of the document, if you guys are okay with that. Sure. Okay. Let's do it. This is... This is legitimately great. It's the best thing Pope Francis has ever written in a document. Uh, Number 33, where Pope Francis says, all Christians in the Amazon should attend the traditional Latin mass and learn Latin. Did you catch that part? (laughs) No. Tell me. Let me me read it. So, um, urge the young people of the Amazon region especially the indigenous peoples to take charge of your roots because from the roots comes the strength that will make you grow, flourish and bear fruit. For those of them who are baptized, these roots include the history of the people of Israel and the church up to our own day. There you go. It's obvious. Pope Francis says, Amazonian young people take charge of your roots except no substitutes for the traditional Latin mass. That is your patrimony if you are baptized. Mm-hmm. There's very much like a, a segregation between those that are baptized and those that are not. And there's no really any emphasis on trying to baptize those that are not. Yeah, that's kind of a funny element of this too, but yeah. it's kind of passed over. Well, yep. that that same missionary bishop that you were talking about from the Amazon that was like the key player oh, yeah. at the synod said he hasn't baptized anybody in like 20 years or something. Yeah, and he won't. Yeah, he doesn't want to. Because the old ladies are baptizing them. <laughs> it's just bad that he, he, he so outright says that he wants to change the liturgy to suit 
paganism, like making allowances for those for for bad things to happen. Like, how bad does it have to get before he before he's like, oh, I didn't mean that, or that that I didn't mean those things to happen. I don't know. That's the real question. I mean, it it got so bad at the synod that like it's hard to imagine how terrible it would have to be before the Vatican would be hitting the brakes. You know, despite everyone saying Pope Francis didn't allow things like the Viri Pravati and stuff like that, I can pretty much guarantee that bishops in the Amazon could go next week and ordain all the married men they want, and the Vatican's not going to do anything. I don't know. It's true. There's a high chance we're going to see that happen. Or we'll hear about it in a year or two, how, by the way, they've been ordaining married men, and it's been working great. Yeah. And then how long before priests and bishops or whoever are saying, well, they can do it. How come we? How come we can't? Yeah. And right at the beginning of the document, it's uh, specifically called out that I'm addressing this exhortation to the whole world. Yeah. There's your uh, convenient line to interpret to your favor there, right? Yeah. This document wasn't just addressed to the Amazon. It was addressed to Germany, too. Now, now here's something that I thought of while while we were discussing. Sorry, are you, why are you laughing, Chris? <laughs> oh, was, uh, just there, a, was, there was a moment Mike and I shared there. It was yeah. Just... <laughs> oh, <cute>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a little dig at the German synodal path of heresy and apostasy. So we know that in some cultures, they have appropriated the use of things like voodoo practices and associating that with with catholicism right you mean like in mexico yeah the uh mexico places like new orleans haiti um, right any like haiti Haiti in particular yeah any haitian culture has a lot of that i was thinking of the um what's the day of the dead type stuff in mexico i I wrote that down because that's that's yeah one thing that, uh, but that's the, those two things looking at side by side, like voodoo people or people that practice voodoo will try and appropriate their culture, quote, quote, with Catholicism. Mm. But that's not okay. Or integrate, you mean? Yeah, integrate. That's a better word. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I had to say on that. It's bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Making allowances for the those that would be doing various rites and rituals that are Amazonian and perhaps very, very dangerous are no different than those practicing things that are voodoo nature with Catholicism. It doesn't work and they do not belong together regardless of what culture those practices quote, quote, are coming from. Mm-hmm. That's just a concrete example. That is how I read every time they say an enculturated spirituality. That's mm-hmm. how I read it. Yeah. I don't I don't see like a concrete way of them saying like we are going to give them the Catholic faith, the deposit of the faith and allow them to kind of understand it through the lens of their culture, you know, um through the lens mm-hmm. of their experience without change or alteration. That's that's not how what we're speaking. We're talking about mixing the two together. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my yeah, that this, is syncretism. Yeah. Yeah. Like 
like listen listen to this this line this is from section 56 on the other hand if we enter into communion with the forest our voices will easily blend with its own and become a prayer as we rest in the shade of an ancient eucalyptus our prayer for light joins in the song of the eternal foliage not said that's not enculturated christianity guys it's not no this isn't the catholic faith like and you know we're not here to tell you you know how you should feel and and whatnot with regards to pope francis but we can legitimately look at this document and say there's so much wrong with this that very probati and mary deacons were were the least of your problems earth worship mm-hmm. entering into communion with the forest we don't do that yeah. we don't do that we don't enter in we can't enter into communion with something that has literally no soul that has literally like well no no immortal soul you know that is not you know sanctified by the you know the gift of baptism we don't have communion with anything except with god yeah this bothered me i was like you know yeah. you're ta- you, you go on later on and talk about the importance of holy communion but you can't say that and also say this you know 20 paragraphs previously Mm-mm. yeah there's I, I just don't know what to say to that We agree with him when he talks about ending human trafficking, when he talks about ending exploitation of people, ending drug trafficking, ending poverty, ending homelessness. We want that everywhere. We also want an end to abortion, which happens there too, and infanticide, which happens there too. We want that to stop everywhere, but we do not agree on changing the liturgy to suit paganism. And even to a a degree, we also agree with the, I would think that we all agree. I don't know. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I I think the exploitation of, of all the natural resources, like, I think that there is a, there is a just way of going about that. Like we don't necessarily believe that there, we should just be going in there and, and doing like a scorched earth kind of thing. And you know, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I guess I learned a little bit about the Amazon, according to the document, is that the soil is not incredibly rich in the Amazon. So things grow on top of the soil, not in the soil. So if you do uproot a lot of things in the Amazon, you'll never get it back because you can't grow as much there. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand how that works. <laughs> I'm not an ecologist, but I'm like, okay, so so we just be smart with what resources we're taking out there. But again, we're we're talking about two things here. We're talking about mm-hmm. the exploitation of the earth, and we're also talking about inserting pagan rituals into the sacred liturgy. Yeah. Two different topics, you know, like. And one is billions of times more important. 
Yeah. Well, one is good, one is bad. One is an important topic for a certain part of the world. One is just blasphemy and apostasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, why a why an apostolic exhortation had to be written about this, I don't understand. You know, the commentary is that they were using a synod, synod kind of thing to push an agenda. And after reading that document, I have to agree. I don't necessarily see it as something that provides anything really concrete that supports the people there. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know what? Like, I'm sorry for the abuse that happened there. And uh, we really need to stop human trafficking and all of that. But we're not providing anything to them. Like, we're not providing any aid to them. The bishops of the world are not going to comply and provide their very minimal numbers of priests to that Amazon region. That's not going to happen. The The Holy Father hasn't created a, a non-profit to go and stop the human trafficking in the Amazon. Yeah. Yep. Like, what's the point of throwing yeah, paper yeah. at it? The point is the second half of the document have to conclude the the point is the changes to the liturgy and having grounds for allowing lots of other stuff like women deacons and stuff. Yeah. And, and a push for eco spirituality, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, everything there is what I've heard pushed from the wacky pantsuit nuns (laughs) of the last 60 years all those orders that you see dying around the world they all take up the importance of integral ecology okay yeah well i think that we've pretty much said all that we we need to say yeah we don't want to beat a dead horse anymore no it might start to resemble some kind of inculturated ritual Especially if that horse has Amazonian features. You don't want that to happen. It's a horse with many faces. (laughs) Oh, that was weird too. A church with many faces? Yeah. Yeah. That was weird. It it reminded me of that character in Neverending Story 2, where his head had the blockhead and it like (laughs) spun around in different faces. Yeah. Isn't it called like modalism when... When they talked about like the different masks that God wears. Yeah, I think so, that's it. Yeah. Like the Trinity has three different modes of Yeah. Yeah. Being. Modes of being. Yeah. And I and I have a feeling he was talking about more like, you know, different faces of like people, like different ethnicities that make up the church. But I thought that language was very, very strange. Yeah. I don't like it. Okay. I don't like it. It give it it makes everything feel weird yeah okay well we took a detour from our originally planned liturgical breakdown so that's gonna come next week um yep and uh yeah we're gonna continue on that again please follow us on social media where uh we love to hang out and uh share the faith with you check out our stories on instagram they're fun um and uh yeah thanks again to uh to everybody who's followed us recently in the last uh, few weeks it's actually been awesome especially in instagram world a lot of people have followed us so huge shout out to everybody uh, we love you all right well from all of us here at 
Theology of the Buddy. Stay, Stay tratty. tratty.